Welcome to the NECF Podcast, where we share our weekly sermons and faithfully interpret the Bible to encourage and direct you on your spiritual path. And it is only God that can judge sin. God is the judge of all. God is the one that can judge sin. See? And blameless when you judge. God is the only one that can judge sin. We're our devoted pastors and special guests delve into the depths of the Bible, exploring its profound lessons and useful applications for your daily life. Join us as we explore the timeless truth that have the power to change people's hearts and minds, promoting a closer relationship with God and a firm belief in His promises. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Who is excited? Amen. 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 Hallelujah. You know. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. Please, I want you to follow me. Be attentive and be as strict as possible. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says, In him, he says, Why our lives must revolve around him because of this. He says, In him we have redemption. Hallelujah. What has he given to us? Redemption. He has redeemed us. Deliverance and salvation through his blood. The remission, that is forgiveness of our offenses. That means there's no offense standing between you and God. There's no offense standing as a hindrance between you and God. Shortcomings, trespasses, in accordance with the riches and the generosity of his gracious favor. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 Colossians chapter 1 verse 13, Colossians chapter 1 verse 13, Colossians 1 verse 13 and 14. Say the Father had, has delivered and drawn us to himself out of the control and the dominion of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of what? Of his son, of the son of his love in whom we have our redemption through his blood, which means, what? The forgiveness of our sins. Hallelujah. It means the forgiveness of our sins. It means we can have fellowship with him. It means we no longer have a barrier in our communication and our fellowship and our interaction and our communion with him. And we started last week by examining the forgiveness of sins. And we said a reality of the life in the Holy Spirit is that we have received forgiveness for our sins. It's not that we're going to be forgiven, but the only one that can judge sin. Where the basis by which we are teaching this, we said that lack of understanding this forgiveness affects our relationship with him. Our relationship with God, our worship, and our service to God. We also mentioned that this lack of understanding God's forgiveness affects our relationship with one another because it is from what he has done for us that we relate with one another. And without a proper understanding of our relationship with God, what he has done for us, how he has reconciled us, we can't live in fellowship with one another. It's only him who have experienced love that have the capacity to share love with others, to express love to others. And we also say that this lack of understanding forgiveness also affects our witnessing of Christ, particularly when it comes to evangelism. So this moment, we're just going to look at briefly the foundation about the foundation about why we need forgiveness. Why need forgiveness? Why do we need forgiveness? Is forgiveness really an issue that we needed? Did we really need forgiveness? Why do we need forgiveness? Why do we need forgiveness? And the reason why we need forgiveness is sin. Hallelujah. Sin is what is the heart of the matter. The reason why you and I and all humanity need forgiveness is what is sin. This is the reason for forgiveness. When we go through the scriptures, we see that man brought sin into the world. Man is actually the architect of his own problem. Sin was not brought in by God. Even Satan is not responsible for sin being on earth. Man brought sin into the world. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. 
Let's look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12 quickly to establish this truth that man brought sin into the world. Romans 5, verse 12. It says, therefore, just as through one man, as through one man, what? Sin. Which means that sin was not in existence in the world, in this realm of our existence. Sin was not in existence. But through one man, what happened to sin? Sin entered the world. And death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Romans of the 3, verse 23, establishes, you know, the reality of men by the basis of the law. Romans of the 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and have fall short of the glory of God. By virtue of the standards of the law, all have fallen short because of the sin that has entered into the world. So sin is a common identity of men. Sin becomes a common identity of men. Whether you are black or white, amen? Whether you are African or European, whether you are rich or poor, whether you are male or female, whether you are short or tall, educated or illiterate, all have common reality, sin. Therefore, all men need forgiveness. So the forgiveness and the concept of salvation or the concept of the gospel is not only something that is needed only in Africa. Because all men have been judged by the law and found to have been guilty. Therefore, all, by virtue of the standards of the law, needs forgiveness. Sin brought about separation between God and man. You know, initially the heavens and the earth were created to be one, but sin brought about separation between the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 3 verse 24, we see this clearly, that man was dropped out. Genesis chapter 3 verse 24. Genesis chapter 3, yes, verses 24. So he dropped out the man. Why? Because something has come into existence. Sin. He placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way. Hallelujah. Now, this, to guard the way to the tree of life is very important. Time will not permit us to look at what it means to guard the way to the tree of life. But sin brought about separation between man and God. Separation between the heavens and the earth. Romans chapter 6 verse 23. Romans chapter 6 verse 23. Romans 6 23. For the wages of sin is death. Now, this death is a spiritual separation between God and man. Not only physical death alone, but spiritual death, the separation, because when man sinned in Genesis 3, the Bible, God said that in Genesis 2, that the day that man will disobey, man shall die. And after the disobedience in chapter 3, we didn't see man dying literally, which means that that death is connoting separation from the father. So for the wages of sin, the wages of transgression, the wages of going against the will and the purpose of God is separation from God. But the gift of God is what? Is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What God has brought to us by virtue of Jesus Christ coming to die, to forgive, die for, our, our, for us definitely, is what? Is eternal life that we will be reunited with him again in eternity. Sin separates man from God. Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2. Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2. You know, sin makes us enemies of God. Therefore, the sin issue must be resolved. Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But what? But your iniquities have separated you. From your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So sin becomes an issue that brings about separation between God and man. And sin is primarily against God. Sin, first of all, is an offense against God. So whatever offenses we see, even if you offend your brother, primarily sin is an offense against God. Psalms 51 verse 4, we see the prayer of David in Psalms 51 verse 4. After he has sinned, you know, he killed uh, who? Uriah, yes, and then it was brought to his notice. If you read that, this was his confession, you know. And, and, and he said, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Hallelujah. So God is the one to whom 
we sin against when we sin. And it is only God that can judge sin. God is a judge of all. God is the one that can judge sin. See? And blameless when you judge. God is the only one that can judge sin. Genesis chapter 8 verse 25, we'll see 18, 25, we'll see where, you know, Moses, Abraham rather, was making reference to God being the judge. Genesis chapter 18, verse 25. Yes. It says, For far be it from you to do such a thing as, as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous shall, should be as the wicked. For be, far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? First of all, what we're establishing is that sin is a reason why we need forgiveness. Hallelujah. And we are seeing that sin is primarily against God. Sure, sometimes we offense it, we offend each other. Amen. But primarily, what we do is that we sin against God. Hallelujah. And then God is the one, He's the only one that can judge sin. That's what we are establishing. All right. And here we see Abraham referring to God as the judge of all the earth. That is where I want us to, to, to look at God being the judge of all the earth. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 23 also established God as a judge. Hebrews 12 verse 23. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of what? Of all. To the spirit of just men made perfect. God the judge of all. Romans of the 3 verse 5 to 6. Romans of the 3 verse 5 to 6. Romans of the 3. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child, with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21. And she will bring forth a son. And what is his assignment? You shall call his name Jesus. For he will what? He will save. This is his mission. He will save his people from their sins. So this is how God will judge the sin of man. Jesus is responsible for the taking away of the sin, for judging sin. So repentance and forgiveness is anchored on the finished work of Christ. It's anchored around the finished work of Christ. Hallelujah. So we can briefly summarize this that God created man for an everlasting relationship with him. Sin brought about separation between God and man. And then Jesus is the cure or the solution for what? For the sin problem. Hallelujah. Now, since we have established that Jesus is a solution for the sin of man, how then was sin forgiven before the coming of Jesus? With all these stories I've given to us, is to bring us at this point to ask this question. Jesus is a solution for the sin of man. Before the coming of Jesus, how was sin forgiven? Before his sacrificial work was accomplished. How were the men of old forgiven? How were the men in the Old Testament forgiven? Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David. Were these men righteous? Of course, the Bible established that these men were righteous, right? These men were righteous. When we read Hebrews chapter 11, we see how the Bible explained them as, as, as men, heroes of faith. We call them heroes of faith. So what made them righteous? What made them holy? What makes them, you know, accepted by God? What made them accepted by God? How were they, how, how were they forgiven? 
and made righteous. For example, Abraham. Abraham in Galatians of the 3 verse 7. Let's look at Galatians of the 3 verse 7. Galatians of the 3 verse 7. You know, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Verse 8. And the scripture foreseeing that God will justify the Gentiles by faith. Preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. Verse 9. So then Moses, so then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So we see here clearly that Abraham was a man of faith. How was he forgiven? We also see David. David also mentioning, you know, in Psalms 32, verse 1 and 2. Talking about the blessedness of forgiveness. Psalms 32, verse 1 and 2. It says, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is a man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. This was a confession of David. Concerning himself, actually. Hallelujah. This was concerning himself. So how were these men able to obtain forgiveness? Since we've established that forgiveness can only be obtained by what? By the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to look at this clearly. First of all, forgiveness of sin before the law was introduced. If you are writing for the sake of writing, write down forgiveness of sin before the law. Forgiveness of sin before the introduction of the law. What is the law for us to understand the forgiveness of sins before the introduction of the law? We have to understand what the law is. Now, the law in scriptures refers to Moses and Mount Sinai, right? The Ten Commandments God gave and other instructions to guide the people's living. That is what we mean by the law when we're looking at what the law is. Now, the law was introduced 430 years after God's promise of salvation through Christ to Abraham. Hallelujah. The introduction of the law was over 430 years. You can see this in Galatians chapter 3 verse 15. Galatians chapter 3 verse 15. Galatians 3 15. Brethren, I speak in a manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet it is confirmed. No one annuls or adds to it. 16. 16. Now to Abraham and his seed where the promises made. Now this promise is concerning the forgiveness of sins. It's concerning salvation. He does not say unto seeds as of many but as of one and to your seed who is Christ. Verse 17. And this I say that the law which was 400 now the law was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ. That it should make the promise of no effect. For in the inheritance is, for if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Hallelujah. So Abraham already have received a promise, and that promise is the promise of forgiveness of sin. So how was this actualized even before the introduction of the law? Now the gospel, that is the forgiveness of our sins through faith in Jesus Christ was also preached to Abraham's descendants. Amen? Not only to Abraham himself, but also to his descendants. But it did not profit them, most of them, not all of them. Amen? Some of them believe. Hallelujah. Some of them believe, yes. Not everybody that came out of Egypt was in disbelief. Some people believed. But some couldn't enjoy the profiting of these promises, of this gospel, because of unbelief. Because they couldn't believe the message that comes concerning the forgiveness of sin. Therefore, the introduction of the law. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 16 quickly explains this reality of what happened that time. Hebrews 3 verse 16 says, for who, having heard He's talking about the Israelites. For who, having heard, rebelled. Now, this rebel is unbelief. They refuse to agree with what God has said concerning their sins. They rebelled. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? 
verse 17. Now with whom was with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? And what is the sin here? The sin is unbelief. Hallelujah. The sin is unbelief, the refusal to agree with what God has said concerning sin. Whose corpses failed in the wilderness? Verse 18. And to whom did he swear that they will not enter his rest? But those who did not obey. And even up to today, if you don't obey, that is, you don't believe. Obedience means to believe. So we see that they could not enter in because of what? Because of unbelief. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1. Further betrays the disobedience of the children of Israel. It says, therefore, since a promise. Now, this promise is concerning what? It's concerning the forgiveness of sins. It's not a promise of the land of Canaan. It's not a promise of caste and riches. It's not a promise of a good life. But it's a promise concerning what Christ was established. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Verse 2, which is the verse we are hitting on. It says, for indeed, the gospel, which is a message concerning the promise, and the promise is about the forgiveness of sins, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Who are the them? The descendants of Abraham after they've come in, they, they came out of Egypt, right? But the word which they heard did not profit them, which means that the word was of no value to them. They never benefited from what was established in, in, in the promise because, you know, it was not mixed with faith in those who had it. So it is therefore necessary that this word be mixed with faith if it will be profiting. Hallelujah. So they couldn't you know, believe, they refuse to the rebel. That rebellion is, they live in unbelief. They couldn't agree with what God has said concerning his promise. Therefore, the introduction of the law. Now, the introduction of the law did not invalidate the promise in any way. The coming of the law does not make the promise invalid. That is to say, since they did not believe, that means the promise is not, is not, if, is not is, is invalid. Then the law becomes ineffect. No. The promise doesn't, the law rather, does not invalidate the promise. Galatians chapter 3 verse 17 and 18 express this. Not also, the law was not in opposition to the promise. Galatians 3.21. The law was not an opposition to the promise. We say that the law does not invalidate the promise. The law is not, was not in opposition to the promise. The Bible says that the law is holy, just, and good. Which means that the problem was not with the law, but the problem was with the people. Romans chapter 7 verse 12. Romans 7 verse 12 established the goodness of the law. Romans 7 verse 12. Give me that scripture quickly. Romans chapter 7 verse 12. It says, therefore the law is what? Is holy, is sacred. The law is good. And the commandments holy and just and good. However, like other scriptures, the law has no power to give life. Amen? What has the capacity to give life? The promise. Hallelujah. And the promise is what? The promise is in a person. And that promise is who? That promise is Jesus. Hallelujah. So the law itself does not have capacity. The Ten Commandments does not have capacity to give life. The instructions about ceremonial worship and all those things... In the, all the, in, in, the, in the context of this, you know, does not give life, does not bring about life. Life is what is in the promise. John chapter 5 verse 39, Jesus was established, established this also in John chapter 5 verse 39 when he was speaking to the, to the Jewish people. He said, use such as scriptures, for in them you think that is the scriptures is encapsulate the law that was given by Moses, right? Say so you search the scriptures. That means you investigate the law. You scrutinize the law. For in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which what? What does the law does? It testify of me. Okay? So the law testifies of Jesus. It, 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 it validates rather or it shows Jesus as a solution to the sin problem. Hallelujah. We're going to look at why the law. And why, what the law accomplishes, maybe next week. But the law 
does not give life. The law has no power to give life. Additionally, no one can be made right with God through the law. So in obeying the law, you cannot be made right with God. Galatians 3 verse 11. In obeying the law, you cannot be made right with God. Galatians 3 verse 11 established this. So why the law then? If the law is, cannot make me right with God, why the law? But, all, but that no one is justified. See, no one is justified. This justification means no one is set free. No one is made free from sin by the law in the sight of God. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by what? By faith. So what makes a man justified, what makes a man right with God is faith. Faith in the promise. That is what makes man right with God. Not the obedience of the law. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 3 verse 20. Address this. Romans chapter 3 verse 20 also. Romans 3 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. That means by obedience to the law. That means by doing all the law says. Right? By obeying all the ten commandments and all other commandments that were given by Moses. You cannot be made right with God by those laws. For by the law is what? The law brings about the knowledge of the existence of sin. So the reason for the law is to show that sin is in existence. Therefore, there is a need for what? Sin to be taken care of. Therefore, there is a need for man. There is a need for God to deal with the issue of the sin of man. The law is like a mirror that shows to you how you really you are. Amen? And then you look at yourself and then you trust the provision of God for your cleansing, for your forgiveness, for your restoration. Because the men refuse to believe the promise. In their hearts, they don't see the need for forgiveness. In their conduct, they think they are perfect. They don't need forgiveness. They don't have a problem with sin. They don't have a problem. What happened to sin before the law? Romans 5 verse 13. What happened to sin before the law? Romans 5 verse 13. For until the law... Where was sin? Sin was in existence, right? But it, but it is not imputed when there is no law. Imputed means it is not accounted for. Because there is no law to show that it exists. Amen? There is no evidence of its existence. Men could not see. So it was not imputed. That does not mean that sin was not in existence before the law. So unto the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed, it's not accounted for when there's no law. Until Moses, sin is not imputed. Until the coming of Moses, when I mean Moses, I mean the law. Sin was not what was not imputed. Sin was in the world even before the law came. Sin wasn't charged to anyone's account. But yet, sin was in existence. Hallelujah. Now let's look at the time of Noah. Noah lived before the law, right? Noah lived before the law. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 to 7. Let's look at the, 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 the testimony of God concerning Noah. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 to 7. Remember, what we're trying to look at is how was sin forgiven before the coming of the law? Amen? How was sin forgiven before the coming of the law? Next week, we're going to see how sin was forgiven during the law. And then subsequently, we're going to look at how sin was forgiven after the cross. Are we together? Good. So how was sin forgiven before the coming of the law? Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 to 7. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That means that it's not the disobedience to the Ten Commandments that makes man evil. Already there was sin from Genesis 3. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. Verse 7. 
So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, but man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have met, I have met them. Verse 8. Look at verse 8. The narrative changed here. What happened to Noah? But Noah found what? What is grace? What does it mean for Noah to find grace? Was it that God just decided to see, I'll just pick Noah? Noah was also a sinner. And believe me and you, in his heart is evil. Amen? But Noah found grace, right? In the eyes of who? Of the law, of the Lord, right? Which Lord? God. He found grace. So what made him separated from the destruction of the world? What made him separated? Grace. Amen? Grace. Do you see grace there? So grace is not a New Testament. Grace is not only in Matthew to Revelation. Grace is right there from the beginning. Hallelujah. So why was Noah found with favor with God? Noah found favor with God. Meaning that it is that he is forgiven. The meaning of grace here that he found with God means that he is forgiven. Right? And has a relationship with God. Earlier on, we said that sin brings separation between man and God. But we see Noah having fellowship with God. We see Noah having a relationship with God. Which means that the sin issue concerning Noah and God has been resolved. Isn't it? Sin is no longer a separation between Noah and God. Which means that Noah has been forgiven. He's righteous before God. So on what basis did God did, on what basis did Noah find favor with God? On what basis? What is the condition that permitted Noah to be seen as a man that has found favor with God? Noah believed God. Hallelujah. This is what makes the difference. Noah what? Noah believes God's word. Before the law, Noah believes God's word. Noah acted by faith. Faith was the basis for the forgiveness that Noah received even before the introduction of the law. Let's look at the commendation in Hebrews chapter 11 about Noah. Hebrews 11 verse 6 to 7. Give me the amplified scriptures. Let's look at what the Bible says about Noah. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 to 7. He believed. What did he believe? He believed what? The word of the Lord. Not only did he believe that God exists. No, that's not what makes him find favor with God. He believed what God said. He believed the word of God. Remember, we said that the word, the promise, the word, we can call it the promise, we can call it the word, we can call it the message, because the gospel is a word, it's a message. The person in whom the, the, the forgiveness of sin is coming is a person. He's also called the word. Hallelujah. So Noah believed the word concerning the forgiveness of sins. But without faith, you see, it is impossible to walk with God. To, yes. So it means that for Noah to walk with God, he walked by faith. Which means that faith is the basis by which Noah related with God. Without faith, it is impossible to walk with God and please him. So for Noah to find favor with God, it means that he must have walked by faith. Believing the word of the Lord. For whoever comes near God to God must necessarily... It is impossible for you not to have faith. It must, that person must necessarily believe, number one, what do you believe? You believe that God exists. That is not all. And that he rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. Verse 7, now look at Noah here. By faith, what? With confidence in God and his word. That was what made Noah have and found favor before God. By faith, with confidence in God and, and his word, Noah, being warned by God about events not seen. What is it that have not happened that he saw? Noah saw something that was not yet happened. God warned about something that has not, about the destruction that is yet to come. Being warned by God about the event not yet seen, 
in reverence, that is in worship, in reverential fear of the Lord, he prepared an ark for the salvation of his family. By this act of obedience, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness. Righteousness means that he is forgiven. His faith resulted to an act, and that act is obedience, of which brought about salvation. An A, which comes by what? By faith. A of righteousness, which comes by faith. Hallelujah. So, we see faith was the basis by which Noah was called a righteous man. Amen? A man that has been forgiven. Pastor Victor told us about righteousness, right? About sanctification and righteousness. We are made righteous as a result of our faith in the finished work of Christ. So Noah as well, regarded as a man of right, a man righteous before God, came into this position by the virtue of his faith in the word of God, which was demonstrated in his action of obedience because he was forewarned of what will happen because the whole world was full of sin and wickedness. By that act, he condemned the world. Let's look at Abraham. Abraham lived before the introduction of the law. How was Abraham? Was Abraham forgiven? On what basis was Abraham having communion and relationship with God? Genesis chapter 18 verse 1 and 1 to 5, quickly. Genesis 18 verse 1 to 5, we see Abraham having interaction with God. And for you to have this interaction with God, it simply means that you have a relationship, isn't it? It means that there is a reconciliation that has already happened between you and God. Now the Lord appeared to Abraham. Why would the Lord appear to Abraham? On what basis? At the table trees of Mamre in Hebron, while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. Verse 2. When he raised his eyes and looked out, behold, three men were standing a little distance from him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. Which means that he recognized who this was, right? It was a visitation by the Lord. And Abraham said, my Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, if he has found what? Favor in his sight. Please do not pass your servant without stopping to visit. Verse 4. Please let a little water be brought by one of my servants and you may wash your feet and recline and rest comfortably under the tree. Verse 5. And I will bring a piece of bread to, er to refresh and sustain you after that you may go on since you have come to your servant. And they reply, do as you have said. And when you read on and on and on and on, you see the interaction that happened between Abraham and Moses and, and the angel of the Lord. On what basis is Abraham talking to God here? Since he also is a sinner, we can look into his life, we can see all sorts of complications. On what basis was he having this communion, this relationship, and this interaction with God? Since he also is a sinner, like any other man. What made Abraham righteous? What made Abraham a man righteous before God? Galatians, sort of, Genesis 15, we see from the previous interaction, Genesis 15, verse 6 to 7, we see where he was called the righteous of God. Take me back to verse, verse 4. Verse 4. Verse 4. We'll read from verse 4. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man, Eliza, will not be your heir, but he who shall come from your own body shall be your heir. Amen? And the Lord brought Abraham outside the tent in, into the night and said, Look now towards the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, So numerous shall be your descendants. Shall descendants be? Of course, if you're a Bible student, you know the conversation. He's not talking about the children of Israel. In fact, today, the children of Israel are not, are, are not how, how many million are they? Nine point something million. So they, are, they didn't fill the earth. Amen? So this conversation cannot be Israelites, right? So this will be referring to believers. Okay? Then Abraham, what did Abraham do? He believed the word. Look at what it means to believe in the word. He believed in, he affirmed, he trusted, he relied on. He, the, Abraham completely understood that this conversation was about Jesus Christ. Amen? Abraham had an understanding that this conversation 
is about Jesus Christ coming, the salvation, the forgiveness of his sin. So Abraham affirmed, he trusted and he relied on, he remained steadfast to the Lord. And he counted, what did he do? He, you see the accounting word? He credited it to him as what? As righteousness. So Abraham believed the word of the Lord and he was called righteous. He was credited doing right in regard to God and man. That was the basis. Same with Noah. Same with Moses, uh, Abraham. He believed God and it was counted to him as what? As righteousness. Abraham interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah as well. Move down to verse 22 of that same Genesis 18. In Genesis 18 verse 22. We see the intercession of Abraham to Sodom. Genesis 18 verse 22. Now we're trying to establish how God forgave sins during or before the law, right? Now, the two men, angelic beings, turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Quickly. Abraham approached the Lord. Now, which means, you see the Lord here. The Bible is very specific about the Lord. It's capital L. Which means that it's the Lord God he encountered. Which means that it was Jesus he encountered. Hallelujah. And said, will you really sweep away the righteous? Now, you see, use the word the righteous. Will there be a righteous man during that time? What was the basis by which a man will be called righteous in Sodom? Eh? How can a man be called righteous in Sodom? Will you sweep away the righteous? Those who do right, how will they do right? How can a man do right before God? With the wicked, those who do evil, you see the, you see the explanation. Those who do right and those who do evil. Verse 19, verse 24 rather. Quickly. Suppose there are 50 righteous people within the city. Will you really sweep it away and not spare it for the sake of the 50 righteous who are in it? Verse 25, quickly. For far be it from you to do such a thing. To do what? To strike the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. For far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right by ex executing just and righteous judgment? 26. So the Lord said, if I find within the city of Sodom 50 righteous people, then I will spare the entire place for their sake. 27. Abraham answered, now behold, I am but dust in, your, in origin and ashes have decided to speak to the Lord. This Old Testament way of prayer. Don't pray like this. Hallelujah. If five of the 50 righteous are lacking Will you destroy the entire city for the lack of five? And he said, if I find at least 45 righteous people there, I will not destroy it. Verse 29. Abraham spoke to him yet again and said, suppose only 41, 40 are found rather there. And he said, I will not do it for the sake of the 40 who are righteous. See, the emphasis is on the righteous, right? Righteous. Then Abraham said to him, oh, may the Lord not be angry, oh. And I will speak, suppose 30 righteous people are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Verse 31. And he said, now behold, I have decided to speak again. Suppose only 20 righteous people are found there. And the Lord said, I will not destroy it for the sake of, 20, of the 20. Then Abraham said, oh, may the Lord not be angry with me. I will speak only this once. Suppose 10 righteous people are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 10. Verse 33, the last verse we're going to look at here. It says, as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, the Lord departed. And Abraham returned to his own place. Hallelujah. So what will qualify anyone in Sodom to be righteous? Hmm? On what basis will a man be in Sodom and be regarded as righteous? And we know that Abraham was praying. He was moving the prayer towards his family member in Sodom, right? Eh? You know who is praying, right? About Lord, right? Concerning Lord and his family. If you read earlier on, the Bible says that Lord moved close to Sodom. Hmm? But by the time we read Genesis 18, we discover that Lord was already in Sodom. He found a cheaper house in South Sodom where the rent is it's not that very expensive. There's no agency fee. You know, 
where it's conducive, a good three plus one. So, what will make Lord be in Sodom and be regarded as a man that is righteous? Something must be unique about him. People who are righteous will be people who have a right standing with God. That's what makes a man righteous, isn't it? People who have been forgiven and they have a relationship with God. That is what makes a man righteous. So on what basis will the people be righteous? It must be that they believe God's word on the basis of faith. So if there be a man that will be found righteous in Sodom, must be a man that believe God's word, believe God's word, believe the word of God. Hallelujah. So righteousness before the law is what? Is imputed to one who believes the word of God. So faith is a basis by which God forgives sin in what? In the time before the introduction of the law. Now there's something very important also before the coming of the law. The concept of offerings of sacrifice for sin. There was an activity that the men before the law did. They offer sacrifices before the law. Quickly. Abel believed God and now, if you are writing, for the sake of writing, the concept of offerings and sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin before the law. Abel believed God and offered sacrifice. Hallelujah. Now, it is not a sacrifice that established the forgiveness of his sin, but it is the believing, right, that leads to the act of offering sacrifice. This was the first time sacrifice was offered. The Lord of first mentioned in scriptures, Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 to 5. Let's look at Genesis 3, verse 4, 4, verse 3. Genesis 4, verse 3 to 5. Where sacrifice was offered. And in the course of the time, Cain brought, the brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. But Abel brought an offering of the finest first of his flock and the fat portion. And the Lord had respect, first of all, Regard for Abel and his offering. Verse 5. But for Cain and his offering, he had no respect. So Cain became extremely angry, indignant, and he looked annoyed and hostile. Abel believed the word of God and was righteous. He demonstrated his faith in God through his offerings of sacrifice. How did we come to this conclusion? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4. Hebrews 11 verse 4. Establish this. Hebrews 11 verse 4. Hebrews 11 verse 4. Hebrews 11 verse 4. By faith. Now look at it. By faith. Faith in what? Faith in the word of God. Faith agreeing with what God has said concerning his promise. By faith. Abel. Offered. So the offering of Abel is because of his faith. It's because he first of all believed the word of God. Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice, which means that Cain also offered. They used to tell us in Sunday school that Cain offered rotten sacrifice. No, that was not a problem. He brought something to the Lord. Amen. But what he brought was not demonstrated in obedience to what God had said concerning his word. He brought it in self-righteousness. Hallelujah. So what made the difference between Cain and Abel is that Abel responded in his sacrifice. It's a response to his faith. To God, a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Through which it was testified of him that he was righteous. What made him righteous? We've seen through scriptures with proofs. We can look at more of the people God regarded as righteous. We can look at the, uh, even, even uh, who, who was no more. Uh, Enoch. Walk with God? How can he walk with God? Sin must be reconciled. Issue of sin must be reconciled. So you believe the word of God concerning sin, right? And many others. So here, Abel also was regarded as a righteous man, which means that he believed God. He was regarded as an upright, in right standing with God. Sin was not an issue between Abel and God. And God testified by what? What was the testimony of God concerning his faith? What was the proof that he is a man of faith? God accepted his gift, his sacrifice. And though he died, yet through his act of faith, 
he speaks. Hallelujah. Noah also offered sacrifice. Genesis chapter 8 verse 20 to 22. We see that when he came after the flood, he offered sacrifice. So what I'm trying to point out is that men who believe offer sacrifices. Men who believe before the coming of the Lord, they offer sacrifices. Abraham, who believed God, also offered sacrifice, right? He offered Isaac. We'll see Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 to 19. Job also offered sacrifice. Job chapter 1, verse 45. Let's look at Job chapter 1, verse 45. If you want the text for the one of Abraham, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 to 19. The sacrifice of Noah, Genesis 8, 20 to 22. Then the sacrifice that Job offered. Job chapter 1, verse 45. Give me Job chapter 1, verse 45. Quickly. So the sacrifice is not what forgives sin, but sacrifice is what? It's a response to the faith that the man has concerning the word of God. His sons used to go. That is uh, Job, right? Job understands something. He had a knowledge of something. His sons used to go in turn and feast in the house of each other, of each one, each one on his day. And they will send words and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. That is on their birthday. They used to throw very big parties on their birthdays. Verse 5. Yes. His, yes, verse 5. When the days of their feasting were over, Job will send for them. And what he will he do? He will consecrate them. Rising early in the morning, what will you do? Offering burnt offerings according to the number of them. Or why? For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Job did this at all such times. Now, Job has an understanding. There's a relationship between sacrifice and the forgiveness of sin. Which means that Job believed in God, that God actually is the one that can deal with the issue of sin. Do you understand? So, the focus is not on the sacrifice. Of course, it's symbolic to what Christ will do. If you are a Bible student, you know what these sacrifices are, right? Showing in symbols and signs what Jesus will accomplish. Which means that he believed in the sacrifice of Jesus. Hallelujah. He was a righteous man. Anyway, by faith, not by his works. All right? So, before the introduction of the Lord, the offering of sacrifices was done in response to faith in God. It was done in response to faith in God. One is made righteous because he believes in God. That is what makes a man righteous. That is what makes sin forgiven before the law was introduced. Those who will be regarded as righteous in Sodom, earlier on we saw, will be those who will believe God's word and offer sacrifices. For the forgiveness of their sins. Meaning that their sins can only be dealt with by God. So the offering of sacrifice simply means that I know I cannot deal with my sins by myself. So there is a one who can deal with the issue of my sins. So the offering of sacrifice is to he who deals with my sins. Making an offering to God is a statement. Write this down. Making an offering to God is a statement that only God can forgive sin. It's a statement that only God can forgive sin. Therefore, righteousness before the law is not that the people did not do, do wrong. It's not that the people did not do wrong, but they believe God's word and offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of their sins. So the response of their faith in God is offering. And we see God oftentimes accepting their sacrifices because they have been accepted themselves by God. For example, now Cain, uh, Abel rather, was accepted by God, therefore his offering was accepted. And the only way a man can be accepted is when the issue of sin has been dealt with. And the way their sin was dealt with was by faith in what God has said. The offering of sacrifice is an expression of the believers, or rather, expression of belief in God's word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Is that clear? Is that expressively clear? So what about the believer today? Amen? What about the believer today? How is our own sin forgiven? 
So you can see that right from the beginning, the basis by which God wants to deal with man is by faith. Even before the law is by faith. Romans chapter 8 verse 3. Jesus is our own offering. Amen? Jesus is our own offering. Jesus is our own offering. For what the law could not do, that is overcome sin and remove it pen, its penalty, its power, being weakened by the flesh, man's nature without the Holy Spirit, God did. So who did the issue of sin, dealing with sin? God did it. Hallelujah. What, how did he do it? He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful man. He is an offering for sin. And he condemned sin in the flesh. He subdued it. He overcame it in the person of his own son. That was how our own sin was dealt with. So how are we righteous? Who can, call, who can tell us how we are, we are righteous? How are we righteous? Eh? By faith, right? By believing what God has done in Christ. We believe the gospel and are forgiven. How many times? Once and what? And for all. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, quickly. A few minutes. Yes, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. We believe the gospel and are forgiven. In him, in who? In Jesus. You also, when you heard the word of truth, what word of truth? What's the word of truth? Concerning what? Concerning the good news, right? The good news of your salvation. And as a result, what did you do? Did you rebel? What did you do? You believe. So if you are here and you don't believe that Jesus has forgiven your sin, you remain in your sins. That is how we are forgiven. Amen? So you believe in him. What happened when you believe? You were stamped permanently. You see, it's a persons. You are stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. The one promised by Christ. Now, the promise, 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 promise. This is the promise. The Spirit as owned and protected by God. So your salvation is eternal. You are protected by God. You cannot lose it because it's protected by God. Your forgiveness is preserved by God. Jump to chap uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 9. 1, rather. Oh, same Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 1. You have to bury this and then we move on to the next one. Chapter 2, verse 1. In King James, quickly. New King James, so we can read faster. Yes. 2, verse 1. 2, verse 1. New King James. Not John. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Yeah, Ephesians has finished. And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, right? Verse 2. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the promise, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and of the mind and way by nature, children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, what did he do? Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, by grace, you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is what? It is a gift. Forgiveness is what? It's a gift. Hallelujah. It's a gift. Not of works. Let anyone should say what? I did it. Amen. Let no one beat his chest and say, yes, I've made it. I made it. You know, we like making things these days. I've made it. I made it. No. He made it. Hallelujah. So that everybody will be humble under the authority of God's word and say it is only because of Jesus. So when you see us rejoice, why do we rejoice? We rejoice because of Jesus, what he has done. Colossians most scriptures, Colossians 1.14. It 
Second to the last, Colossians 1.14. I've lost my Bible. Second to the last passage, Colossians 1.14. In whom, what do we have? We have redemption through what? Through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. And how do we receive this? By faith. Just as Abraham, just as Noah, just as Abel, just as Enoch, just as even Moses himself. Hmm? The founder of the law. Hmm? He knows that this law is not the way. But because they refuse to believe. If they refuse to believe, how can you show to them that they are sinful? Give them something to do, let's see. Right? Do it by yourself, let's see. And they couldn't. Because nobody can keep the law by himself. Nobody can be right with God by his own standards. Hallelujah. So we can now rejoice in God for our reconciliation, by for our forgiveness. The last passage, last for today, Romans chapter 5 verse 6, Amplified Classic, Romans chapter 5 verse 6 to 11. We'll read this together. Romans chapter 5 verse 6 to 11, Amplified Classic. We'll read it together. Romans chapter 5. Let's rise on our feet. Let's read it. Let's rise on our feet so all of us can look at the screen together. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to 11. Let's rise on our feet. Everybody, stand up, stand up. We are sleeping. With all this explanation I've done, right? If you understand this verse, then it has saved me all this more than one hour of communication. Now, we're going to read this together. Please, everybody, ensure everybody's on his feet. Amen. Yes. We don't get tired. Hallelujah. Now, once you go, while we were yet in weaknesses, powerless to help ourselves, at the fitting time, Christ died for, in behalf of the ungodly. Wait. Go back to verse 6. Who did Christ die for? The ungodly, right? He died for who? The ungodly. He died for the wicked. Me and you, we were wicked. Let me use that expression. Good. So, verse 7. Let's read verse 7 together. Now, it is an extraordinary thing for one to give his life, even for an upright man. Though perhaps for a noble and lovable and generous benefactor, someone might even dare to die. Verse 8. But God shows and clearly proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, died for us. Verse 9. Therefore, since we are now justified. Now, what does it mean to be justified? It means we are acquitted, made righteous, and brought into right relationship with God by Christ's blood. How much more certain is it that we shall be saved by him from the indignation and wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we are reconciled to God through the death of his son. Reconciled that we shall be saved. Now, look at what this save means. Daily delivered from sin's dominion through his resurrection life. Go back, go back, go back, go back. You cheated here. Reconciled that we shall be saved. Right, let's read from. That we shall be saved. Daily delivered from sin's dominion. Through his resurrected resurrection life, right? The last verse here. Now, not only so, but we what? Wait now, wait now. Uh, 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 uh. Not also, not not only so, but we what? Okay, okay, okay. Now we're gonna read this and demonstrate it. Why are we demonstrating it? Eh? Why are we rejoicing? So when we say we rejoice, why are we rejoicing? Because what? Because we are reconciled, right? Not only so, but we also what? We rejoice! Amen! And exultingly glory in God, in his love and what perfection, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now hmm, received and what? Glory! What do we enjoy? We enjoy reconciliation. Can you just open your mouth and say, Father, thank you. Say, Father, thank you for this reality. Say, Father, thank you for this truth that I have. 
that I'm forgiven. What an honor. Thank you for listening to our sermon today. We hope you were blessed by this teaching. If you want to learn more about our church, please visit our website or follow us on social media. We would love to connect with you and hear your feedback. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast channel and share it with your friends and family. You never know who might need a word of encouragement.